Psalms 144.15. Would you like to just stand for the reading of that scripture? Psalms 144.15. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Happy. Everybody say happy. And then Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in respect of want... For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Lord, we ask your blessing on this service tonight. Thank, thank you for bringing on each and every one tonight. We thank you for your love and your goodness. And everybody say amen. You may be seated. Say it one more time. Happy. happy. It seems like we use that word a lot. Happy New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. And you can go on and on and on and on. But happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Do you know that happiness is a universal pursuit? Everybody wants to be happy. There's no language group. There's no culture, race, religion, you name it, that doesn't want happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. I think the Lord made us that way. Are you happy? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm happy. Well, I'm glad you're pretending. <laughs> I want to talk about the key to happiness, the key to be content. Benjamin Franklin, you remember him? I don't know if the students are being taught in American history anymore. But most of you sitting here remember Benjamin Franklin. He said the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. But he said you have to catch it. We have the right to pursue it. Every one of us has the right to pursue it. But you have to make yourself happy. You have to choose to be happy. You have to choose to be content. Someone said the best vitamin to be a happy person is B1. The lady in the back just got it. <laughs> Anne Frank, remember her? Said we all live with, she said, we all live with the objective of being happy. Our lives are all different yet the same. Here she was locked up in an attic and then captured by the Germans and then murdered. But while she was young, writing the diary, she said, we all live with the objective of being happy. Our lives are all different, yet they're the same. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse one and two said, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you have you that have no money, come and buy and eat. 
Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So Isaiah, you remember him? Way back in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, he looked out at his people who were longing for happiness and security. They were looking for it in the wrong places. If Isaiah was alive today and he was standing on 42nd and Broadway in San Francisco or the Loop in Chicago or, excuse me, the Market Street in San Francisco, he would be looking at the milling crowds of people and he would be asking them this question. Hey, are you happy? Hey, are you satisfied? Have you found it yet? That's what he would say. If he were standing here tonight, he may be looking out at this congregation asking the same question. He would ask the actress or the actor out in Hollywood and he'd ask them with those lonely looking eyes, hey, are you happy? He would ask the laborers and the workers of America who are enjoying the highest standard of living in the entire world. And he would ask them the same question. Are you happy? He would say to the consumers of America who have the best food, the most clever gadgets, the best homes and automobiles of any generation. And he would ask them that simple question. How about you? Are you happy? In Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, it said, He has made everything beautiful in his time. And he has set eternity in the hearts of men. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from them from the beginning to the end. There's something in every individual that's born on this earth. A little spot that God reserved. We all long for something. He has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. Whether you're saved or unsaved, there's something gnawing at that individual. Everybody's looking for something. Everybody wants to be content. Everybody wants to be happy. Fasco, the French physicist and philosopher, said there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which can only be filled by God through Jesus Christ. I don't know who I'm speaking tonight, but maybe you need happiness. Maybe you need a little joy. Maybe you're looking for some contentment. You're not finding it out there in the world with the things, the physical, because real happiness comes from the inside. Real happiness comes from knowing and receiving our Lord Jesus Christ into your life. Did you know that in 2008, there were 4,000 books published on happiness alone? But eight years prior, year 2000, there was only 50 books on the subject of happiness. In fact, they say that the most popular class in Harvard University is positive psychology. 
and there's more than 100 universities that offer happiness workshops. Why? Because people need something that they're not getting. As a nation, we're growing more sadder and anxious by the day because everybody's looking for the same thing. But they're like Isaiah, looking for it in the wrong places. It was true 1,000 years ago, and it's true today. Every man, woman, child in this world wants happiness, and they want to be content with something. You know, with all the advantages that we have today, people still are not happier. They're more happy today than they've ever been. How do you know that? Well, look at the suicide rates. They just keep going up and up and up. Look at the drug abuse. Look at the prescription abuse. Look at the antidepressants that are in the world today. People are not happy today. People are looking for something. They need something. America is in debt today, trillions of dollars. Wall Street is shaky. Recession fears loom on the horizon. Healthcare costs have gone up. Prolonged retirement. People retire early and they live to 100 now. And they're not happy. There's a lot of problems. Let me ask you this. How do you perceive Jesus Christ in your life? Your perception of Jesus and your view has a lot to do with if you're happy or not. People of faith should have a strong grip on the peace of God. But how do you perceive Jesus today? Is he just a judge? Is he somebody just poking into your business every day? Is, it, is your Jesus sad? Is your Jesus happy? A lot of people just picture Jesus as a very sad, somber person. And however you perceive Jesus is how you're going to receive him. I remember my mom, that's been like 20 years ago, she saw this Jesus film. And uh, she kept talking about it. And she said, it's the best one I've ever seen. Because Jesus acted happy. He was joking around with the disciples. He was smiling. He was holding the kids. He was cracking jokes. Now, is that the kind of Jesus that you know? Now, Jesus, the Bible says, was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. But the Bible also says he was anointed with oil, the oil of gladness. Now, Jesus knew sorrow. He was sad, just like we are. When a loved one gets hurt or a loved one dies, he had compassion. He was human in all aspects as we are. But there was something about Jesus on the inside. He was content and he was happy. He knew sorrow and grief, but he also knew how to be happy. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, he, he's the one who bore our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. The Bible said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. Now, how could somebody go through that and be happy? But the Bible says in Luke 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in his spirit. Even though he paid that awesome price for us so that you and I can have everything that he conquered on Calvary. Peace, joy, liberty, healing, deliverance. He rejoiced in the fact that he was going to go to that cross. Yes, he, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows so that he could help us in our sorrows. And through our griefs, he was wounded for our transgressions. We come to him as sinners. He forgives us of our sins because he paid that price for us. He was bruised on that cross for our iniquities. Sometimes we need to just think about that when we're having a bad day. Jesus looked like he was having a bad day. But the Bible said that he rejoiced in his spirit. If you look up that word in the Greek, it really means jump for joy. Now that's a strange word to, to be looking at when you're considering him on that cross of Calvary. It's the same word that first Peter used in chapter one, verse eight, where he said, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. And full of glory. If you look at the Webster Dictionary, that word rejoice is to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. To be exhilarated with lively and pleasurable sensations. To exalt. That sounds like church. Or this sounds like a happy church. Have you ever seen a long-faced Christian? You know, a lot of Christians have been taught that being constantly burdened is holy. I mean, you know, beat down, looking at our world full of uh, sorrow and concern for the state of mankind. And sometimes they just force themselves not to let happiness dominate them because they want to be a true Christian and have an eternal burden for the lost, always prevailing, always in a state of sorrow. But you can have that and happiness at the same time. The scripture teaches, be careful for, for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We should, according to Psalms 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise to be thankful unto him and to bless his name. I pastored a few churches. The last one I pastored, when people come dragging in on Wednesday night, I would say, okay, let's... Let's try some. Let's all stand. Let's all walk out that back door. Let's go out into the parking lot. And let's come in the right way. 
Let's enter his gates with thanksgiving. Let's enter his courts with praise. And they would walk out to the parking lot. And when they came in, they came in rejoicing and thankful and praising. And man, we had a great service. Now, we're not going to do that tonight. But the Bible said the yoke of Jesus is easy. And his burden is light. Nehemiah says, for the joy of the Lord is what? That's right. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So those who are not rejoicing are not strong. According to Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. But a rejoicing Christian, a Christian that realizes that the joy of the Lord belongs to you no matter what the circumstances are dictating in your life during the day, those are the happy Christians, those are the content Christians, and those are the strong Christians. Because your relationship with Jesus Christ is very, very important. Now, if you were the devil, I said, if, if you were the devil, how would you entice Adam and Eve to sin? Think about it. After all, they lived in a perfect world. And they were perfect. They knew no sin. You couldn't tempt him with lust for someone else because there was nobody else there. You couldn't tempt him with money or things. You couldn't make them bitter over their childhood because they never had a childhood. They were born adults. So how would you tempt a person like that? Well, you know what Satan did? He got their focus and their attention on the only thing in all of creation that they did not have. They had everything. But the Lord put that one tree in the garden. And Satan got them to look at that one thing that he said God was holding back. He got their focus and their attention from all that was good to that one single tree that they were told not to touch. Think about that. Satan actually made Adam and Eve unhappy with what they had. And they had everything but he was able to convince them that God was holding something back. Crazy. So unhappiness with their situation was a big part in the temptation. Satan used unhappiness to entice Adam and Eve to sin. If he wouldn't have been able to make them dissatisfied with what they had, they would never have yielded to sin. Unhappiness equals temptation. That's the same with us. 
Lack of contentment is always the first step to temptation. If you can eliminate that one step, temptation is dead on arrival. But think about it. If Satan could make perfect people living in a perfect world unhappy, then certainly he can make imperfect people in an imperfect world unhappy. They weren't content with the things that they had. If you're not content with the things that you have, you'll never find contentment. Jesus said, take heed and beware covetousness. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of things that he possesses. Hmm. A man's life does not consist with the abundance of things that he possesses. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. In today's vernacular, it would be don't covet your neighbor's house, don't covet his car, don't covet his boat, don't covet his motorhome, don't cover his jet skis. Just be content with what you have. Dennis Whiteley said, happiness cannot be traveled to. Let's see, if I just go to Rome, Italy, I'll be happy. If I could just go on that cruise and go around the world, I'll be happy. No, he said, happiness cannot be traveled to. It cannot be owned. It cannot be earned. It cannot be worn. It cannot be consumed. Happiness is a spiritual experience of living every minute with love, grace, and contentment. Eric Hoffer said, you can never get enough of what you don't need to make you happy. You can never get enough of what you don't need to make you happy. Freda Keeney said, we tend to forget that happiness doesn't come as a result of getting something we don't have, but rather of recognizing and appreciating what we do have. Let me read that again because we wander out here. We tend to forget that happiness doesn't come as a result of getting something we don't have, but rather recognizing and appreciating what we do have. Eleanor Roosevelt said, happiness is not a goal, it is a byproduct. Sidney Harris said, happiness is a direction, not a place. Henry Ward Beecher said, he is rich or poor according to what he is, not according to what he has. Don Harold said, unhappiness is not knowing what we want and killing ourselves to get it. Let me read that one again. Unhappiness is not knowing what we want, but we're killing ourselves to get it. 
Robert Braut said, if you search the world for happiness, you may find it in the end, for the world is round and will lead you right back to your door. Brother Sanders, you can relate this. In the Philippines, some of the happiest people lived out in the barrios where they had mud floors in those huts where they lived. I would walk through those areas of the Philippines and those little children were always laughing. They didn't have $100 toys. They didn't even have $10 toys. They played with rocks and sticks and stones and homemade things and they were laughing and the moms were smiling and the dads were smiling, but they had nothing. They didn't own a car. They didn't own a bicycle, but they were happy in a mud floor and rickety walls with tin roofs. And you know what else? When they came to church, they always looked like they had a brand new press white shirt and press pants and dress. I don't know how they did it. But they were happy. Same in Vietnam. When you get out away from the city and you get out to where the real average people live and poverty. Why are they so happy? And then you drive through the subdivisions of Manila that where the rich people are behind the gates and they have the big houses and they all look so sad. They got cars, more than one. But they don't smile. They don't wave at you when you walk to their neighborhood. Those little kids don't smile either. But you walk through the streets of the poor, man, they're happy people. Doesn't make any sense, does it? You see, spiritual dissatisfaction is something we really need to address. Because spiritual or any dissatisfaction is not limited to this absence of physical things. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player that turned preacher 100 years ago. He said, there's no joy. If there's no joy in your religion, you got a leak in your faith. In other words, if there's no joy in your life, you've got a problem. Everybody say happy. Oh, you're getting better at this. I hope you don't have a leak someplace. But if you do, you should deal with it. But not only are lack of physical things making people unhappy, there is a temptation to not be satisfied what Jesus has given to us. In John chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, it said, If you had known me, now Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, if you have known me, you should have known my father also. 
And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And then we'll be satisfied. Here's Jesus talking about going away. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. They see him. They're around him. He's doing miracles. He said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's given all this out. And then Philip says, Lord, if you just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. You mean he wasn't satisfied? But what he had right in front of him? My goodness. He was saying, I'm not satisfied with Jesus. Now, how messed up can you get? If Jesus is not enough, anybody getting this? They wanted more. Here it's Wednesday night. I'm not screaming. I'm not running the aisles. I'm not doing backflips. And you're just sitting there. I hope you're content. I hope you're still happy. Is Jesus enough? Well, lest we be too hard on Jesus' disciples, let me say that we as humans do the same thing. Now, years ago on deputation, I was going from church to church, district to district, and there was this song that was very popular. It's a beautiful song. In fact, uh, we used to sing it around here at time. I don't know the name of it, but it's sung like more love, more power. Remember that? More love, more power. I'm desperate for you. I'm thirsty for you. How many remember that song? Oh, you missed it. It was a good one. Except it wasn't scriptural. Because Jesus said in John 6, verse 35, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And we were singing, Lord, I'm so desperate for you. If you look up that word desperate, it means hopeless. I'm so hopeless for you. More love, more power. I'm so desperate. I mean, it was a pretty song. That's no different than what those disciples were saying to Jesus. They weren't satisfied with just the physical presence of Jesus. For some reason, they wanted more. They wanted fireworks. They wanted Jesus to show something that they had not seen. But they've seen so much. They've been following him for quite a while. But they wanted some kind of awesome display of the glory and the majesty of God. 
And people are the same today. Always wanted more love, more power. I want a new thing. Maybe gold dust, flowers floating around. Wow. Well, what, what's wrong with Jesus? What's wrong with just having Jesus? You see, the enemy wants to get your mind off of what you have, and he wants you to seek something that you don't have. Well, I come to Wednesday night service, but it's not Sunday. Well, Sunday and Wednesday are the same if you brought Jesus in the house with you. It's not about the teacher. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the choir. It's not about the crowd. It's about Jesus. If Adam and Eve became dissatisfied with perfection and Jesus' disciples wanted more than Jesus, then what hope do we have? If you're always looking at the carnal things or you're looking for a new religious experience, The enemy can make you dissatisfied. Our happiness needs to be in our God, folks. God alone. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter if you wake up on an upper or a downer, no matter if there's tragedy in your life, no matter if there's hurt and heartaches, Jesus has never changed. He's still the same. Happiness is not supposed to be something on the outside. Things can be going bad on the outside, but on the inside, you can have fellowship. You can have still the joy of the presence of God in your life, knowing what he's done for you. Contentment is not a state of being, but it's a state of mind. It's a state of presence. John Milton said, the mind is its own place and in itself can make heaven of hell and hell of heaven. Everybody go like this. Your mind can be your biggest enemy. Or it can be your biggest friend. Doug Larson said, the world is full of people looking for spectacular happiness while they snub contentment. Mildred Barthel says, happiness is a conscious choice, not an automatic response. Now, I don't know these people. They may not even be Christians, but they, they got a little insight somewhere. Paul made this astonishing statement in Philippians 4.1. You need to memorize this scripture. Paul said, I have learned, everybody say learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith 
to be content. I, everybody say, I want to learn something. No matter what situation you're in, if you can learn to be content. You know where Paul wrote that? I believe it was the Mamertine prison. Have you ever been there? I saw it once. At least they said it was in Rome. You look down a hole and there's different compartments and they said he was down there like the third level living in filth and mud in a cold place. And he wrote some of the most beautiful passages of scripture that we read every day. And in that prison, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You see, happiness is not something that happens to us. It's something that we learn. It has nothing to do with what is happening to you and I. It all depends on what's going on on the inside. I think we need a revelation so we can be content. We can be happy on the inside no matter what the circumstances are on the outside. Not if you agree. Not twice if you're awake. Paul also wrote to the Philippians, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He could do that because he had a revelation of what being content was. He knew who he was in the Lord. He knew what Jesus did for him, no matter if they hung him or crucified him or threw him in a dungeon. He knew. He knew a lot about where he was going. He knew what Jesus Christ had done for him. David could have never said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth if he didn't have a revelation of the goodness of God. If you learn how to be content in your situation and you get a revelation of what you have in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you 2,000 years ago, You'll never be unhappy on the inside. You may have difficulties on the outside, but nobody can take the joy of the Lord away. Nobody can take and smile off of your face. Paul said to the Colossians, Colossians 2.10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know what that word complete means? that there's nothing missing, no missing part, complete. You are complete. Turn to your neighbor, say you're complete. If you're born again. Here's a revelation for you. You need to understand this is because it's very important. We, you and I, children of God, are not trying to work towards a victory. 
We are coming from a victory. You understand what I just said? We're not working for victory. We're coming from victory. We're riding the wave of Jesus' victory. Whatever he's accomplished on Calvary, he said you're complete in him. You have everything that he has. All heaven is resting inside of you for what Jesus has done in your life. We don't have to fight for any victory. We're coming from a victory. We are victorious. The whole book of Ephesians is written from the standpoint that everything has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. But most Christians don't live their life that way. They don't live like they're walking in the victory of Jesus. His victory is your victory. You understand what he did for you? But most Christians, they're always living on this side of the equation. They're always wanting more. They're always asking, heal me, deliver me, bless me, prosper me. And Jesus is saying, well, what more can I do? I went to Calvary. I took your burdens. Hey, your yoke is supposed to be easy, man. I've done it all. If, if you have me on the inside, why don't you take advantage of all the goodness? Why don't you take advantage of all the things that I've accomplished? Man, I've given you it all. Praise God. Everything is done. You just have to receive it. People are always asking God to do something, but they don't believe that God is going to do it for them. Or today. You've got to start living in the past tense. He's done it. It's finished. It's accomplished. We hear prophecies all the time about the future. What God is going to do. A lot of futuristic stuff. But there's not a lot of teaching about what God has already done. We need to live in what he's done. We need to capture the goodness of the Lord, the victories that were won on Calvary. The whole book of Ephesians is written from the exact opposite perspective. It's about what God has already done. I'm convinced that true Christians are not supposed to be seeking victory. Just enforcing, enforcing the victory that's already been won. Listen, we're not trying to win any battles. We're coming from a battle. The battle has already been won. We have a champion on our team. We have a God that became a man. We have a God that, that took your sins away. He bore it all on Calvary. That's why... Paul could say, we're more than conquerors through Christ. Don't misunderstand me now. We're not trying to get healed. We're just enforcing the healing that he accomplished for us when he took those stripes. In heaven, we're already healed. In Christ, we're already delivered. 
in Christ, we're already saved. But we have to appropriate it. We have to bring it into our life. Are you getting this? We're just fighting the good fight of faith. Don't misunderstand me. I know when you're sick, you want to be prayed for, and that's scriptural. But if you read the scriptures, it's past tense. He's already done it. We just have to bring it from our faith level through the spirit that's in us and receive that healing. Just like you receive that joy. Just like you receive that deliverance. The battle's been won. The victory has been made. Deuteronomy says in chapter 28, verse 47, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness, because you're not serving me with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of things I've given you. Then he goes on, therefore, and he goes into all these judgments. He pronounces these judgments because they have not served the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart. The New Testament put it this way. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though... Now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This verse is saying that if we are in the faith, we will rejoice with joy unspeakable. And the only reason people don't walk with rejoice in your heart is because they're not walking by faith. If you can get this revelation, it's all done back there. Everything you need is already accomplished. We are complete in him. His victory is our victory. All you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All you need is to be buried in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins. All you need is to start walking in the victory that he's won. He can be so disappointed in us walking around so despondent, so disconnected. When he said, man, look what I've done for you. I'd hate to get to heaven. And he said, man, look what you got ahead. I said, wow, I blew it. You can have faith for salvation and not have faith that produces joy. You can have faith to get saved, but you still need faith to understand what you are in Jesus Christ. Paul said it again. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with be content. That, that was a favorite verse of our missionaries. 
because we had gone deputation from state to state, from church to church. And some states were better than other states. Some churches were better than other churches. And we always said, we have learned in whatsoever state I'm in. It could be Georgia, it could be Texas. But that's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in. My house could have just burned down. That's my house. My Jesus hasn't burned down. My Lord is still alive. He's still in me. Yeah, very sad. I lost my, my life there, my house, my car. But Jesus is still alive. Abraham Lincoln said, most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Good old Abe. Albert Schweitzer says, success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Someone said, it's only possible to live happily ever after on a day-to-day -day basis. Everybody say one day at a time. 